Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. An honor and a privilege to have you with me here in the Freedom Hub. We have much to discuss, much to get into today. I want to first create, if I could, a uh, a breakdown of, of where we'll go in the whole gun control discussion here. Because to me, there's really two movements going on in the country. There are two simultaneous, you could say, conversations. Uh, on the one hand, you have an effort that the White House is engaged in as well. You have an effort to listen, to hear people out, to exchange ideas, and to also, I think, heal. It's one of the reasons why President Trump gathered together for a listening session with students and uh, parents, including parents of those who had lost their children in, in school, recent school shootings uh, at the White House. Right? He's, he's doing a listening session. I believe he's actually just just doing it while we are uh, on air and doing it a bit before. So he's hearing out people that want to share their views on this issue, and he's also expressed that this time it will not just be a knee-jerk response out of partisanship. He'll at least listen to what is going on. We're doing very strong background checks, very strong emphasis on the mental health of somebody. And we are going to do plenty of other things. Again, next week, the governors are coming in from most of the states, and we're going to have a very serious talk about what's going on with school safety. Very important. And uh, we're going to cover every aspect of it. There are many ideas that I have. There are many ideas that other people have. And we're going to pick out the strongest ideas, the most important ideas, the ideas that are going to work, and we're going to get them done. It's not going to be talk like it has been in the past. It's been going on too long, too many instances, and we're going to get it done. The president is saying this time is going to be different in that there will be action taken. This is not just a situation that we've seen in the past where there is a temporary surge of interest and and passion over the issue of violence in school, school shootings specifically. Mass shootings is really what we're talking about here. He's saying that there will be, uh, th- this is a time for us to listen to all the different ideas that are out there. Now, I think this is, from the president's point of view, a smart move. I think it's the right move. I think it's a smart move. Listen to the other side. No harm in listening. A lot of people should just be heard so that the American people know their stories. Um, I, I agree with that. I agree that we should be 
um, that we should be hearing stories, for example, from, from this father who was at the listening session. Play it. Because my daughter has no voice. She was murdered last week, and she was taken from us. Shot nine times on the third floor. We, as a country, failed our children. This shouldn't happen. We go to the airport. I can't get on a plane with a, a bottle of water, but we leave it. Some animal could walk into a school and shoot our children. It's, it's just not right, and we need to come together as a country and work on what's important, and that's protecting our children in the schools. I think everything that father says, and, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. You can just hear the pain in his voice. He just lost his his daughter, his little girl, last week in that shooting. But I think everything he says is completely reasonable, and I agree with him. We should come together and find a way to protect our kids. We should hear out all the different proposed, if not solutions, at least means of addressing this problem, lessening the threat, doing whatever they can so that there are fewer of these. I want to hear all of that. But that doesn't mean that we will cast aside judgment of the proposals. It would be fantastic. It's certainly a praiseworthy goal to try and find a way to protect our kids in schools and to do so with 100% success. I think it's almost impossible. It is impossible, actually, to do it at 100% success. And with each proposal that they put forward, we will have to think, well, what is the counterbalance of this? What comes out of this that we may not want to give up? What are the unintended consequences of this action? And that's where you, when you push a little harder on this issue, when you dig a little deeper, that's when you start to run into the other side of this conversation right now. As I said, there are those who want to Talk about solutions. And and I also believe that President Trump sitting with parents and and students, teachers and others who want to discuss this issue is part of a national healing. That is something we should do right now. But on the other side of it. There's also a clearly partisan and deeply politicized effort to make this yet another part of the hashtag resistance to make this a partisan battle that is very comfortable smearing its its opponents uh, defaming people saying terrible things as i mentioned you know the billboard in louisville kill the nra i mean that's just one example but this refrain you're hearing you're with the children you're against them that's not helpful that's not constructive so we should and, and will talk about the other side of this, which is that there are people out there right now, uh, many of them across the country, who see this as an opportunity, not to save kids, but to help the Democrat Party and to harm the Trump administration and the Republican Party's political fortunes. That level of opportunism should make us all feel like we need a long shower. It is gross but it is happening and you are seeing this now with the talking points that are out there with the way that uh, some of the networks are choosing 
to go about this, um, choosing to to cover this issue, it is a, an absolute disgrace. Do we have the woman who was approached by CNN on the front lawn? Which uh, this is this is astonishing, folks. I mean, you you have a, a a woman who well, that's on. I'm sorry, that's on Russia. We'll get to this in a little bit. You have uh, a whole bunch of different media outlets, though. That's a Russia component. I was looking on my list here for a second. You have a whole bunch of different media outlets that can't seem to find an articulate and uh, well-versed defender of the Second Amendment to put on TV. Can't seem to find it. You know, I know a whole bunch. I could sit here and rattle dozens of them off the top of my head, one after another, to have a really serious discussion about this. But instead, there's a lot of, let's find the most uh, inept, Republican congressman possible and put him on TV and, and bash him and say that he's, you know, he's uh, being disingenuous on the issue, that he doesn't stand with the with the kids. And this, I think, is where we start to see that there's just no real bipartisan good faith. And not at the congressional level that goes into this whole issue of trying to fix gun control. It just doesn't it just doesn't really exist. Um, I think it is troubling to see and you've got see oh here's a here's cnn weighing in they've been uh, they've been just as bad on this as i've seen as seen them on anything i mean they're they're weighing in they're using kids and the questions they ask them to make this explicitly about trump Children are dying. Did you hear from any leaders? Did you hear from anybody in power after that yesterday? President Trump has been known to watch cable news on occasion. If he were watching right now, what would you want to say to him? I want to read one of the president's tweets from over the weekend. Do you have a message for the lawmakers? Do you have a message for Congress, for the president? You know, President Trump uh, made some statements about this uh, yesterday. He spoke about it, but he didn't mention guns. Look, and we have examples of other countries that have done more and have passed national gun control laws and guess what gun violence went down there's some on the right they're attacking students personally they're saying that you're tools of the anti-gun lobby how do you respond to to that kind of poisonous environment you'll notice with a lot of those questions it's you know so so those evil republicans have they have they done what you want them to do yet you know this is if we were in a court you could say they were uh, they were leading the witness Leading the witness. And it's quite clear what many of the journalists out there think about the NRA, about the gun control issue. And in case you needed any any additional refresher. You know, for a lot of people, even those who are grieving with these kids in this community, when they hear, oh, well, you know, the NRA is a terrorist organization. You know what? They're going to hear that. That was one kid. A lot of people who don't believe that. That was that was one upset. Yeah. who was speaking there, and that, that's relevant And I as think well. they're allowed to use those kinds of well, extreme... It's not a question of whether we're allowed... Everybody's yeah, allowed to course. do whatever they I want. I mean, I think it actually might be effective. Yeah, it might be effective to call the NRA a terrorist organization. I mean, it's wildly unfair and irresponsible and inaccurate, but, you know, maybe it's effective. You'll notice, though, that was actually a... That was a something of a, a revelation there from a camarada over at CNN. That's the point of this. What's effective? What gets the message across? It's not about what's reasonable, what's fair, what's honest. It is to force the right 
in this case to bend the knee on this issue. That's what's motivating so many of the journalists and everyone else that's what is this world they really think they're going to be living in where there's something that the president of the United States could do to stop kids from getting shot in school and he just doesn't want to do it, just doesn't care? How, how, how do they really formulate that in their minds? I know that's a belief that a lot of leftists have, that Republicans, the NRA, et cetera, they don't care about this. It's a really terrible thing to believe about a fellow human being, never mind a fellow American. And yet, this is the rhetoric. This is what's out there. You're either with, I don't even know what the policy is they're advocating yet. It's In some ways, it reminds me, in that sense of Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, I mean, groups that came together, left-wing political activism of the moment, and they had a rallying cry, but not a specific policy platform. Maybe that will change, and I don't know if that will be from the grassroots level, or if that's going to be handed to these protest groups that are popping up now all across the country. Um, But as I was saying, there's the administration willing to listen on this issue. The administration is trying to do what it can in order to hear out both the people affected by this and give them a national platform. And I think it is a helpful part of the nation healing Um, But then there's also the, well, well, what are we actually going to do? What comes from this that will have impact and is worthwhile? And why is there so much animosity against a president who's been in office? I mean, you know the answer to this, but it's worth asking anyway. So much animosity on this issue against Trump. He's been in office for a year. And it's like the gun problem is his fault and his doing. And... On the in the real world, when we're listening to what the president says and what the White House is up to, we know that this is actually a president who's not shutting down discussion, who's not dismissing any of this out of hand. I think to the surprise, maybe of some on the right, he's really considering some restrictions on firearms. He's really considering some of these proposals. And Harris Faulkner over at at Fox was speaking to uh, one of the most well-known of the student protesters, uh, uh, student activists, and I think she asked him a very important question. President Trump right now, uh, and and in fact, one of his early tweets was about mental health. So he is now putting uh, a plan into action that he would like to see lawmakers enact. Of course, he can't do it all himself. So he has come some distance where other presidents have not. I want to get your thought on that. So... The way that I think President Trump might do things differently, if at all, is I don't know, honestly. I really don't. It's kind of sim- it's a similar situation as to what it was a few years ago, where uh, his party is in control of both the House and Senate. It's a question of whether or not they can actually get something done. Because we're sick and tired of the promises of politicians that they're going to send their, their prayers and their condolences when we have no action. And that's why you're hearing those cheers behind me. No action. What is the action supposed to be? I would also note, and some of you listening, I just want to, I want to put this out there. Some of you listening probably are thinking this and feeling this right now. Why is it different this time? What's different now? When we're talking about policy, what's different now than after San Bernardino, the Pulse nightclub shooting, Newtown, any number of other school shootings that we can talk about and that have occurred in recent years? Why now? I think some of you are asking that question. I know I've seen people asking it. 
And I don't have a good answer. Seems like the emotional import of the moment is pushing the conversation. Well, is that the way we want to make national policy? Hmm. What do you think, folks? Do you, do you think that Trump's making the right move here by sounding like he's got, I mean, I think he already said bump stocks. He wants to do something on bump stocks. Do you think he's making the right move, or is this just bound to be another politicized moment where the left doesn't want to actually get anything that makes anything better? They just want to make the right bend the knee. We'll see. 844-900-2825. Let up those lines, my friends. We'll be back with more. In second hour, we'll get into some of the latest on Russia stuff because there's a lot. Stay with me. We want to learn everything we can learn, and we're going to go starting about two minutes after this meeting. We're going to work because this is a long-term situation that we have to solve. We'll solve it together. And you've gone through extraordinary pain, and we don't want others to go through the kind of pain that you've gone through. President Trump is coming across in every way with this discussion as open-minded, reasonable, wanting to solve problems, not just throw mud at the other side or throw up a wall and be obstinate, but he wants to find ways to make things better. We have been discussing on the show here, what some of those proposals involve. But there's another component of all this, too, and that is that you have a lot of activism now uh, going on. You have people who are marching who aren't from the high school in question. Do we have the uh, audio of the kids in D.C. today marching, Montgomery County Schools? Uh, there is a bunch of a bunch of students that are doing walkouts, you know, demanding, yeah, yeah, play it, go for it. government is not protecting us, what is it doing? You get the idea. Hey, look, we live in a culture now that there's really a subculture of activism, hashtag activism and the YouTube and Twitterification of all political ideas. You know, everyone now is a everyone now is a pundit. Everyone now is building a following. And you've got kids now from all across the country. So not kids that were near a shooting, involved in a shooting or anything like that. Just kids who want their opinions to be heard, making demands. And, you know, this is where we run into some trouble with just listening and not responding, because the truth is they're talking about gun control. They're not talking about just what goes on in schools. This isn't just about schools at all. This is about guns everywhere and for everyone else across the country if they get their way. I'm sorry, but there is no other issue that anybody would say, let's listen to what all of the marching, screaming teenagers say. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. 
Welcome back, team. So as I was saying, there's a... Uh, there is a lot of cultural back and forth that comes into play with the gun control debate. Most of the reason that you see journalists so uniformly opposed to the Second Amendment and, and gun rights uh, comes from their disdain for people who they think generally own guns in, in civilian private life, right? There is a, a tweet here from a blue check, which means you're one of those verified, re, you know, real people on Twitter. or you know, They've said you're real, not that there aren't other real people. Uh, and I'm not going to name him because I don't want to give him the free publicity. He's got like 70,000 Twitter followers, though. This is the kind of stuff that you expect from commentary and uh, comment, commentators and journalists on the left. Everyone has fantasies. This is this guy, leftist journalist who will remain unnamed. Quote, everyone has fantasies. Some of mine involve ripping guns from the hands of pathetic bubbas who think firepower equals manhood. I want to rip their guns from them in front of their children while they scream and wail about their freedoms and evil government. Sorry, not sorry. End quote. That's a pretty accurate description of how a lot of national journalists feel about this issue. They don't like people who own guns. And this is an opportunity to stick their thumb in the eyes of those who do own guns. Um, and that's what this is really about. There's that. There's also the sense of a political mobilization against Trump. I played some of the uh, I played some of the students that have been marching and yelling for gun control, gun change. Still not clear to me what they want exactly. As I said, there's not a specific policy. They just want something to be done. But when the other side, in this case, the, I guess we could say broadly termed the right, the Second Amendment crowd, when they come back with, okay, here's an idea. Well, actually, here, here, here's the president himself saying it. Concealed carry for teachers and for people of talent, of that type of talent. So let's say you had 20% of your teaching force, because that's pretty much the number. And you said it. Uh, an attack has lasted, on average, about three minutes. It takes five to eight minutes for responders, for the police to come in. So the attack is over. If you had a teacher with, who was adept at firearms, they could very well end the attack very quickly. This is the president working through reality as to what it means to be dealing with a school shooting. This is the president saying, OK, look, you want to be able to stop an active shooter in a school. First responder times, I mean, to get it under five minutes, you basically have to have an armed guard in every hallway on every floor of every school. That's just and at that point. Well, why not arm all the teachers? You've you got people in, in practically every classroom who are armed anyway. But now you see whether they're being serious on the other side of this argument or not. When you put forward arming teachers as a an action to take, not a solution. We're not talking because they're not going to solve this. It's not going to go away. When you talk about arming teachers, sure enough, the other side goes, no, they don't want that. That's not what they want. That's not what they're calling for. It makes them. I just saw one of the CNN uh, anchors 
sharing some tweet about how, you know, students don't want teachers to be armed. Well, you know, this is a complicated issue. And it's one thing for students to mobilize and say, we want to be protected. It's another thing to say, we want to be protected, and here's how it has to be done. Because there's a reason we have a government, we have a legislature, we have elected representatives, we have federal law enforcement, local law enforcement, people that are paid and that have expertise in these matters trying to come up with ideas and solutions. There are reasons for that. It's not just what do the kids think that they need in this case. Now, that's this is now also a a big game on the left where they're trying to tempt people into overstepping. And I will say there have been some conservatives, one or two in particular that come to mind, who have very publicly uh, debased their reputations by personally attacking these kids. It's not it's not this is not personal. It is not about mocking individuals who are stepping forward to say, to say that they believe that this is a necessary gun control policy or that's necessary, whatever the case may be. It's not about that. But it's also not we're going to sit here while national laws are changed, you know, while federal laws are changed, national policy is shifted and do all that in silence just because. Because we feel bad. I wonder, there is a part of me that thinks that the Trump administration here, you know, he's hearing everything out, but. Bump stocks. Okay, that was a post Las Vegas shooting concession to gun, which I will note will stop no shootings whatsoever. And the bump stock thing is such a it's such a non action in a sense that it's hard to be opposed to it because it's it falls into the well, it's minutia. Of the of even the gun control debate, which often gets bogged down in the minutia, but that's really way down the scale. I know a lot of people that own firearms and around firearms their whole lives, never used a bump stock, don't know anything about bump stocks. Yeah, whatever. No interest. It's actually a much more in- interesting discussion when you start to talk about suppressors and laws around suppressors. I, I anybody who watches too many movies thinks that suppressors mean that you can get away with you know makes a pew pew noise that's not you know you fire an ar with a suppressor and it just means that you're not doing permanent hearing damage to yourself but it's still real loud uh anyway that's that's a more interesting discussion in my, for for my end and, and that would be a lessening of the laws that are in place not a that would be a loosening of them not a, a strengthening of them so trump is raising the issue of arming teachers. Why is the left so opposed to that? Because it's really about not liking guns. If it, They say it's about saving kids in schools. But then when you propose something that may in fact save kids in schools, it's not good enough. They say, take action. We want to save kids in schools. And we come back with, okay, let's think about concealed carry. Let's arm teachers. Let's increase armed security at schools. And they say, no, we want a ban. And we say, well, hold on a second. I thought you just wanted action. You wanted the kids to be safer. In what way would arming teachers and having more security at schools not at least be a good faith attempt to address those primary concerns? This is where you see. This is where it all comes together. 
not about just keeping kids safe. It is about being opposed to guns. Guns are a cultural signifier in this country. If you say that you believe in the Second Amendment, if you say that you believe in a right to bear arms, an individual's right to own firearms, to defend himself or herself, and as a collective American defense against tyranny, yes, that is still real, and yes, we still believe that, If you say that, then there are a whole bunch of other things that generally, but not always, come along with that. Uh, Tend to have a more uh, traditional religious view. Uh, You know, know, they basically tend to be a Republican. (laughs) You go down the whole slew of different issues, more likely to be pro-life, more likely to uh, any number of things. And so that's why the gun issue just becomes a signifier for everything else. And that's why solutions to school shootings that aren't explicitly anti-gun, anti-firearm ownership are unacceptable to the left, even though they're screaming, do something, do something. We come back and say, okay, here's something. They say, no, no, not that thing. Do this other thing that we really insist on. But that won't work, and it's not a good idea, and also it's an infringement on freedoms. Why do you not care about dead children, they yell. Well, Well, hold on a second. I thought we were having an adult discussion. There's that term. I mean, but I thought we were having a, a responsible exchange of ideas on what to do here. I mean, I think if you get a chance, you go back and you see some of, and we played some of the clips for you, some of the uh, listening, the listening session that the president had with these families. This is uh, important for the country to see, and people should be heard, and they are being heard. I've also noticed, though, that there are complaints among some of the media that their favorite students are not being heard from. They've already picked favorites. You know, the ones that are saying the NRA are child murderers, those are the ones that we should be hearing from all the time. Well, there are a lot of students, as I said, 3,000 in the uh, Douglas High School in Parkland. Uh, close to 3,000, something like over, over 27 or 2,800. I've seen a, a handful on TV many times already. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think they're the only ones who have opinions. Uh, and I've already seen some going back to the blue check Twitter, which is a journalist. It's like a big chat session among all the different journalists on Twitter. I mean, I know a lot of you are like, who cares about Twitter? But it's just it's a way that we keep keep tabs on each other and see what everyone's saying. Uh, a lot of them are already complaining that they're not hearing from the voices they want to hear from. Well, is it about hearing from the kids at, the high school in Parkland, or is it just about hearing from kids that push an agenda that some adults want? This is where we we have to be very careful with what comes out of this and what the direction is after this tragedy. It's clear. It's a very emotional moment. It's very difficult for the country. I understand all of that. You want to ban bump stocks? Fine. I mean, I, I, I'm not about to fall on my sword for bump stocks. I don't really care. Uh, but once we start talking about assault rifle ban, we've already been there. It wouldn't stop anything. What is what is an assault rifle under the context of a federal law anyway? Didn't didn't help when Bill Clinton did it back in the 90s. In fact, gun violence went up a little bit. Less than two percent of all firearms related deaths involve a long gun of any kind. Gun violence is almost entirely a function of handguns, which are not even under discussion right now. And handguns, which were used, two of them in the biggest single mass school shooting of all time, which was at Virginia Tech. So we're skipping over a lot of facts and figures here to do what 
feels good to one side of the political spectrum so that the other side, in this case conservatives, don't feel bad, don't feel like they're unwilling to, to budge on this. But I do come back, and I'm not trying to just take a hard line for its own sake here. I come back to, well, is anything really different this time? We've, we have been here before. The same, I almost want to go back and, I don't want to listen to my own show. That'd be kind of weird. But go back to some of the previous news cycles after large-scale shootings, uh, school shootings and other shootings, where the gun debate became fierce. And it's nasty. It's vicious, as you know. These are all, these are all things I've heard before. The only thing that has gotten attention, I will say, that is different this time around in terms of policy solution or possible uh, legal remedy for what's going on is the temporary restraining order uh, based on a mental, you know, essentially a mental illness that would make you dangerous. So temporary restraining order from buying guns. That's the only one that I've heard that I'm like, okay, that's kind of new or that's getting a little more. And all right, that, that, that strikes me as reasonable. That strikes me depending on how it's worded and what the legislation is. But here's what I here's what I'm offering up to you. I don't think that's that wouldn't be acceptable either. They won't they the the movement such as it is right now, they want a ban. They want no guns. Which guns? They'll figure that out. They want a ban on guns though. Guns equal bad. That's what this comes down to. It's not about safety in schools first and foremost. It is about a political position and an entire cultural backdrop to all that as well. 844-900-2825. My friends, phone lines open. We'll take some calls. We'll be right back. What is your message to the President of the United States? Hear our voices and take what we say and put that into action because um, we're dying. Kids are dying. And it's, it's a lot of... This is a life or death situation, and I think at this point we really have to focus on the fact that it's way too easy for teenagers to buy guns, and it's ridiculous that nothing is being actively done for that. I mean, here we—that was another one of the students just speaking to the press there. You know, when they say things like it's too easy for teenagers to buy guns, do they mean it's too easy for a law-abiding adult with no criminal background to buy a gun? Because once you're 18. You are an adult. You can say uh, this is something that happens a lot, right? When is it? When do we refer to someone as a teenager, and when do we refer to them as an adult? If you're 18, if you're 19, as in the case of this shooter, you are an adult. If we want to start having a whole nationwide discussion about changing that, that's one thing. But I don't think we're there, and I think that uh, this is not a place where we're fine. We're, we're not going to find a lot of solutions in oh let's let's just uh, raise the age of people to buy firearms i don't see that being uh being a way to handle this either especially because as we had sean davis on yesterday a lot of mass shooters are in their mid-30s so what, what's the what's the age what's the age limit going to be for somebody to buy a firearm you know 50 you know i don't, I don't think that's going to work and at some point, we also have lost sight of the fact this is a constitutionally protected right. There is a process for removing it. It, it. It's not like it could never change. If this was such a terrible thing the Founding Fathers had done, there is a government mechanism for changing it. It would just take 
A lot of people do agree, and they don't. A lot of elected representatives to go in the same direction, and they're not. But it is a constitutionally protected right. It has been for a very long time. And we're talking about it like it's this, or the media is trying to get us to talk about it like it's this irritation, this this anachronism that just results in unnecessary bloodshed. Charlie in Ocean, Ocean City, Maryland. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Buck. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I've been I've been listening to a lot of different people talking about this gun issue, and it brings me to the point of Israel. I haven't heard any mass shootings in schools in Israel, and I would venture to say that that's per, per population. That's probably the biggest gun owners in the world because they're being attacked every day forever. And they have concealed carry people in schools. They protect their children. Uh, yeah, the, look, Israeli security is often looked at as a model for U.S. counterparts, whether we're talking about uh, airport and airline security. So it certainly is worth looking at what the Israelis are doing in, in schools. They have a particular threat, though, and that is that on top of just the possibility of a, of a psychopath going into a school, uh, Charlie, they, they have had numerous terrorist entities, uh, is Islamic jihadists who have who would very much like to go into a school and engage in a mass shooting for the purposes of uh, political violence for terrorism. So they have an additional layer that they have to uh, consider. But you'll notice, Charlie, they the, the moment that people start talking about arming arming more folks in schools, maybe concealed carry for teachers, more training for teachers and dealing with active shooters that involves the teachers being able to shoot back, now it's not just do something. It's, oh, no, no, I didn't mean just do something. I meant do the thing I want you to do. Well, that's not the same, right? That's uh, that's shifting the goalpost. But thank you for calling in, Charlie. I appreciate it. Folks, I'm sorry those of you who have been holding. I've, I've gone a little long here. We're going to get into the next hour talking about Russia collusion. So uh, apologies for my, my rambles. Uh, we'll, we're going to change up topics here and discuss the latest on the troll farms. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Hour two, we are going to get into some Russia investigation, Russia collusion, all all that good stuff. That's what we're going to talk about now. Uh, as a as a an, an appetizer for this discussion, maybe as a way of contextualizing where we're going to go. What's coming up next here? I just want to take a little trip down memory lane with you, if you wouldn't mind. You'll recall this whole thing happened back back a, a, a few years ago. Different president, a different time in this country. Remember this? This is my last election. Yeah. Uh, After my election, I have more flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I transmit this information to Vladimir and understand what I'll transmit this information to Vladimir. I must break you. I mean, you know, really, that was President Obama who is talking to Medvedev there. And he's just saying, yeah, look, you know, don't worry. I I got more leeway to do stuff that'll make you guys happy after my next election. And that's for the, the same Russia, folks. 
that has been doing all kind of Russian hacking and Ukraine and Syria and putting deep cover agents into the U.S. and all kinds of stuff. That same Russia. Obama's caught right there saying, you know, yeah, well, this and literally you've got Putin's at the time right ahead man, Medvedev, being like, I will transmit this to Vladimir. I will pass the information of your willingness to uh, sell out principles for the greatness of Russia. I mean, no, no one really freaked out about it at the time. Some conservatives like me were like, I have got a problem with this. This, this is troubling to me. I, I see some issues here. Seems a little strange. And in light of what we know now, it's particularly problematic because not a lot of tough guy talk when it came, when it came to Russia when Obama was in office. Certainly not when Hillary was trying to become the next president of the United States. You know, they wanted to keep things cool, keep things quiet. And now they're saying, or some say, it's the biggest attack on the U.S. since 9-11, which strikes me as crazy. But this has become a mass hysteria. This has become a, a delusion, as I have told you. The Russia collusion delusion is powerful. It has spread far and wide across the country. And it has forced journalists to act in ways that not only destroy any pretense of objectivity they may have, but also make some of them act like jerks. A lot of them act like jerks because of the Russia collusion fairy tale. Now, remember, Russian interference is not the same as Russian collusion, but they're so desperate to keep Russian collusion alive, that they're willing to magnify the Russian interference, which, as I've said, was, sure, a Facebook and Twitter campaign to tell people some stuff about the election, as well as a whole bunch of other things. That's all. That's what we're really, that's what we're really talking about here. I was aghast when I first saw this clip that I'm about to play for you. You've got a woman who is down in Florida, and she was involved in uh, in organizing for Trump, and she's an ardent Trump supporter, but she's just a private citizen. Uh, her name is Florine Goldfarb, and she's a Team Trump Broward County Facebook page, I guess Facebook page founder, or she set up a Facebook page for Trump. Completely... Legitimate, laudable, very, you know, yay, civic doing her civic, not her civic duty, but engaging in her right as a citizen to express her ideas and support a candidate. She's a woman. I, 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 I don't want to engage any ageism here, but she looks to me to be uh, probably of retiree. She's a retiree age and she's just living in her home in Florida. And CNN decides to send journalists. She's a private citizen, right? She just did some, hey, like my Facebook group for Trump. This could literally happen to any of you across the country, all right? Anyone who shares their views on Facebook, anyone who is on Twitter, which I know not that many of you are, but I'm sure most of you, by the numbers, are on Facebook. It could happen to you. All of a sudden, you've got some smug CNN reporter literally standing on your front lawn. And 
doing this. But we're going to play this clip. Play it. But what part of it in this is a cover-up? What? Are you well, saying they, that's they, not true or what? Uh, the Russians, I don't care if they were uh, involved or not. That's That, to me, is the least important thing. But they were involved with you. Did you guys know that? They weren't involved with us. Let's, you know, just make sure that you report it correctly, that, you know... But you guys were involved with being patriotic, right? Very, very patriotic, but not... Being patriotic was the group that contacted and helped organize some of these activities that you posted on your own Facebook account. Th those were legitimate. Those were Russians. They were not Russians. I don't go with the Russians. That on, group was Russian. I have nothing to do with the Russians. The well, groups, apparently you the, did. No. Maybe you didn't know it, but oh, you please. did. When you're talking like this, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Well, I'm talking what's Those what's people based on that the... were with me were all Trump supporters. Very, very much so. And okay? all apparently following the direction of groups that were associated with Russians who were BS. actually infiltrated. BS. BS. And please, please report that. I don't believe that. That's bullshit. I know all the people that were with me, okay? They were at my meetings. They're all Trump supporters, okay? Mm -hmm. But did you realize that you guys were in communication electronically with with not Russians? Not me. Not me. I don't you know. You were posting stuff on Hillary, the Facebook. Hillary Clinton was, and so was all her uh, bandits. Some of the Mueller? stuff that you, you were in charge of the Facebook account, right? You were posting and reposting almost word for word the information that was coming out of this <laughs> internet research agency no. in St. Petersburg. No. You don't believe that? Thank you. First of all, this is just mean-spirited. The whole thing is, I think, a, a breach. I don't even think there is such a thing as journalistic ethics anymore. They're just all activists. They're, they're you know, it's just, let's stop with the, the games and, and the lies and, and act like there's some, this is some, on, this is some honorable profession of big J journalism. You know, just tell people where you're coming from and present them with the facts and let them decide. This is nasty. This woman was just trying to organize her fellow Trump supporters in her area. She's just sharing things and posting things on Facebook. And there's just nothing about this that in any way is unethical or problematic or anything else. And what really this turns into is it's like the... It's like a person, an older person, which when we're talking about social media usage also, I think does come into the discussion. But, you know, look, anyone can be trolled. Anyone can be, uh, you know, catfished. And this was kind of political catfishing. And, w you know, would it be nice if somebody showed up to a, a retiree's home who was just trying to share thoughts about politics and and said, well, you know, you, you thought you were talking to your friend who supports Trump, but it was really someone named, you know, Igor, who's in St. Petersburg and is just pretending to be a Trump supporter. Who, what does that have to do with anything? And it's just a, it's a nasty thing to do. To put this woman on the spot, to show up at her home to dox her. I mean, her name's already out there. I, I'm only using because I want to defend her. You know, oh, look at this woman. The implication here is that this nice old lady is somehow a part of the Russia conspiracy because there was some... Russian bots that were on her Facebook page or because, you know, they were sharing. I mean, keep in mind, the stuff that the Russians were were dumping into the election were things like, you know, MAGA and vote Trump. So 
Who the heck cares where it comes from? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't undermine the beliefs of this woman or any of the other people that were part of her Facebook page. You know, think about it this way. If you're at a protest and you're holding up a sign that says, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton is the worst, which would be a great sign, by the way. And you're surrounded with a bunch of your friends. They all have signs that say Hillary Clinton is the worst. Then you find out that some other people showed up who were actually Democrat operatives and they had Hillary is the worst signs, too. Does that mean that your message is now invalid, that you're a stooge of, of Democrat operatives? No. It means that they're playing dirty, but you're still there with your message. There's nothing about this that, first of all, requires a CNN camera crew to go up to her home. And I got to tell you, if you know, if this were like my grandma or something, I and I had been there, I would have been very. Uh, what is the word? Very aggressive with this guy who wants to harass somebody for their completely legitimate and in every way fine. And I would even say commendable political activity. Just trying to be a good member of her community, trying to get people to support Trump. And this is this was meant to be a swipe. This was meant to be mean spirited. It's look at you, you foolish Trump supporting rube. The Russians tricked you. Ha ha ha. What do they expect her to say? Yeah, you're right. Some guy, you know, Igor and and Oleg and the whole squad. You know, I was I was in on the whole thing. What's she supposed to say? It's just an ambush. It's meaningless, but it's a nasty thing to do. You know, are they going? What's next, by the way? Are they going to show up and ask people, "Hey, you know, you shared this tweet from the election. You know, that turned out not to be true. Do you know that you're a purveyor of fake news?" Like, well, just a private citizen. You know, people make mistakes. Back off, CNN investigative team. But here's the even better question. So now that we're establishing harassing, semi-stalking, and doxing private citizens because they were engaged in political activity on the Internet that the Russians intentionally involved themselves in through subterfuge and in very few places and with with no real success. But anyway, it did happen somewhat. A couple of people, whatever. If that's the new standard, though, I want to know when CNN shows up on James Comey's lawn and says, excuse me, former FBI director, did you know that a foreign agent, Christopher Steele, fed you Russian disinformation to affect the outcome of an election, lied to you and the FBI about it, we think, and almost changed the course of American history through this foreign scheme paid for by the DNC and Hillary Clinton. Do you have a comment on that, sir? They, they, they could wait outside of Comey's home. I'm sure they could find him real easy. Ask him, did you know you were being duped? They could do the same thing with McCabe, with Yates, all these fancy DOJ folks who thought they were doing the country a big favor by making sure that they turned the screws as tight as they could on the Trump team. No, CNN's not going to do that. Not going to do that at all. Oh, these these are the kind of journalists that that can really they really stir stir the emotions. You know, they really make you feel make you feel proud of big J journalism in this country. They are afflicting the afflicted and comforting the comfortable. That's what CNN likes to do. You know, go after people and harass. It, it was gross. I watched it a couple times. And I just thought, 
I, I just, what, what are they trying, you know, he's trying to humiliate this woman. She didn't do anything wrong. What, what are they trying to prove? What was the purpose of that segment? You know, and by the way, do we think that she now has also had people writing her, saying terrible things to her, targeting her? Because, of course she does, right? We all can expect that. Every left-wing idiot out there is going to be writing her nasty stuff and, you know, you old blah, blah, blah. Thanks, CNN. Really doing your part to enlighten the conversation. Really, really doing your part to make sure that people act responsibly and in a decent fashion to each other. You know, if we're going to get all these lectures about how we need how we need to be treating each other with with particular dignity in the aftermath of the shooting from CNN. I would also like CNN to extend that beyond just the issue where they really mean silence from the opposition. That's what they think dignity. That's what they think being respectful is. You know, just be quiet while we lecture you. All right, we got more on the Russia thing, too, because it's been quite a week for that. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Much more coming. I'll be right back. We think that there's a bit of a revision of history going on about uh, how this president has confronted Russia and dealt with Russia and how the last administration dealt and confronted Russia. Remember, the Obama administration uh, implemented the Russia reset policy, a failure of making concession and concession after concession to Putin with very little in return. Um, You know, this president has confronted Russia when appropriate. He has uh, stepped forward and authorized the sale of offensive weapons in Ukraine. He did authorize airstrikes in Syria over Russian objections. Just last week, the White House called out Russia for the largest cyber attack in uh, global history. We have been tough, we have been measured, we have been smart and and appropriate in dealing with Mm -hmm. Russia. You know, what you had Uh, from the Obama administration is a lot of hot rhetoric with very little results. That's Raj Shaw, who's the White House Deputy Press Secretary, and he raises some very important points. When you look at actions, not words, the Trump administration has done many things that are not in Russia's interest, that you would not expect someone who is overly uh, friendly toward Russia to do. Perhaps most notable of all, you know, if you really want to curtail Putin's power, if you want to put Russia in a tough spot, among the very best ways for America to do that, that does not involve obviously anything crazy and military would be what the Trump administration is doing, which is just try to open the floodgates of U.S. energy exports onto the global market. That has a much bigger influence on Russia's future and Putin's power than anything else that they're talking about. You want to talk about sanctions. Russia, with the price of a barrel of oil where it is now, is a very different place than Russia with oil at $120 a barrel. Uh, And that affects their military spending. That affects their everything. It affects their ability to project power uh, by supporting regimes that do their bidding. Right. And so some of what Trump does has the added effect of annoying Russia, but just also happens to be good for the United States. So isn't that a nice thing? He doesn't go around picking unnecessary fights with the uh, Russian government. And he's not full of all this anti-Putin bluster. I would also note that, you know, you had I played the audio for you of Obama with Medvedev when he was the Russian premier. You know, Obama's like holding his hand and saying, tell Putin that I've got his, you know, we're going to be able to work more together and everything else. 
Putin was just as bad then than he is now. This is just a complete historical rewrite they're engaged in. It's a rewrite on how seriously they took the election interference. It's a rewrite on the Russia reset of Hillary Clinton. Did she have the dumb button for that one, or was that the Asia? Yeah, it was the Russia reset button, right? She had like this. She's like, oh, the button. I'm going to press the button. And she pressed it, and nothing happened except corruption because she's Hillary. So, you know, Hillary sneezes and foreign despots throw money at her. Uh, But, you know, seriously, there was nothing that came of that that was notable from the uh, whole Obama period in in power. And this isn't what about ism. This is just history. This is just understanding the context of the discussion that we're currently trying to have. It just seems to me to be so clearly one-sided and uh, unfair to take this view of Trump as so pro-Putin when his actions... He also is, has uh, put through, under the Trump administration, the Pentagon, is sending lethal aid to Ukraine to fight against Russian paramilitaries, largely, in eastern Ukraine. That's a big deal. Didn't get a lot of media coverage because they don't want to talk about it, but that's something that me that, that's something that could actually result in Russian casualties. And the Obama administration explicitly chose not to do that. They did not want to do that because they didn't want to antagonize Russia too much. So Trump is willing to do things in Ukraine that Obama and his team was not willing to do because they thought it would be too antagonistic. But Trump is the Russia patsy. I, I just Does somebody want to try to explain this? Other than just to call me and tell me, well, yeah, they're lying, which, yeah, correct, they are. They're being dishonest about all of this. So that's, I think, important to keep in mind. By the way, we, we will, uh, I think we're going to have to have a little Nancy Pelosi discussion coming up here because she said some stuff recently that will be worth our time. Uh, and we'll have a lot more. Also coming up the next hour, we'll talk about gerrymandering. Woo! You'll like that. Uh, back in just a few. Other shows just talk at you. In the Freedom Hut, we have a mission. We fight for the truth in a team effort. And Buck is back with our next play. When did politics and money from the NRA become more important than our lives? We're doing it so that our legislators, so that our lawmakers will make a change, so that they will take us seriously, so that they will not dismiss us any longer, so they won't reschedule, so they won't push us into another room as they dance around our questions. But we will not be silenced. It has gone on long enough. Those in power have not taken action. They've been using their words. They've used political double talk as much as they can. The laws of our beloved country allowed for the deranged gunman to purchase a gun legally. The law has failed us. All students, maybe some are of voting age, I don't know, but some are certainly not. All students are talking about what they want right now, which is gun control and how they want action. And I wanted to return to the gun control issue for a moment here. I thought we had left it behind for the show, but there's a there's a reason, not just because I want to dive into it with you once again. Just saw this piece. You remember what I said to you yesterday? Remember I said, you know, it doesn't really, some of the signs you see at protests, you kind of get a sense that this isn't just some spontaneous thing. And also, why are other schools involved in this? If it's just about the traumatized students from 
what is it, uh, Marjorie Douglas High School. What's what's with now the school in the D.C. suburbs? People are marching. And I would note also there's one school, I just saw this here, uh, a school district down in Florida will actually suspend kids who leave, I'm seeing here. This is from the CBS local affiliate in Florida. District will suspend kids who leave class to protest Florida shooting. Quote, we are here for an education and not a political protest. Yeah, you don't say. True, by the way. You want to protest, you actually should be protesting on your own time. It should not be school walkouts for this. What about the students that actually want to have class and learn? They're deprived of an education because some people want to go petition their legislators. You do that on your own time. What about the adults who are with them, by the way? They're paid by the state. They're there holding placards and signs on school time. I wonder if you poked around, I bet you'd see plenty of it. But here's the bigger the bigger thing right now, as I said to you yesterday, because this is this was inevitable and they were trying to fight against it until they really had it all in place. But here's the big story on the Washington Post just went up as we're on air. Students take charge of gun safety movement with some help. From existing groups. Hmm. Wait a second. What do you mean help from existing? I thought this was just spontaneous. I thought we have to listen to the kids. Help from groups? Like like what groups? Oh, like Every Town for Gun Safety, the Michael Bloomberg group. Bloomberg, the billionaire, started this group and just goes all over the country advocating against the Second Amendment in every possible way at every in every time. So, like, the single biggest opponent of Second Amendment rights in the country as an organization, right, the anti-NRA, if you will, is is uh, connected to this already. Is already they're, they're already ready. And now, by the way, what they're telling you in this in this story, I'm sure, is just the beginning of, of the reality here. A lot of these students found their way very quickly to... CNN anchors and to national news coverage and all of this. Wasn't an accident. These are decisions, editorial decisions being made by the networks about which students get put on TV. Uh, And also you have these upcoming marches, which they're saying is going to be like the Women's March. Uh, These upcoming marches that have received money. I think, did they get money from Oprah and Clooney too? I think so. So now we're in that phase of this where... They're going to now now they've got everyone talking about it and we're all focused on it. They want to move into the part of this where they can't hide entirely that anti-gun groups are very much involved in this whole thing. That adults who have raised money, who have a political agenda, are involved in the organization and behind the scenes and all that other stuff. This is the beginning of us coming to that realization, which you and I have known now for a couple of days, but maybe longer. It wasn't okay to say it until now. Oh, you're 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 undermining their message. You know, you're. I've seen a few people that are they're saying, because someone somewhere said something nasty about one of these kids. Now, any conservative that questions the message comes under fire. I'd also note that there was a uh, a video. I forget the name of the. You remember the name of the guy? He he went in to buy an AR-15, and it went totally viral. And in fact, one of the students. Uh, from the Parkland High School, who was at the Trump listening session in the White House, mentioned, because I was watching it before we came on air, mentioned, mentioned this 
uh, activists, you know, anti-gun activists who went into a, a, a store, a gun store in Florida, and he says, you know, I have an expired ID and I'm 20 and I bought an, an AR-15 in five minutes or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? This got a lot of play. Um, oh, this got a lot of play. And here's the problem with it. He didn't buy the gun. I mean, he walked in, was able to see and unloaded, you know, AR-15. And they looked at his ID, you know, they, they looked at his ID, but they didn't process any paperwork. They didn't do a background check. Nothing happened. He didn't walk out of there with a rifle. But the story became, I could go in there as a 20-year-old with, a, with an ID that's expired, not fake, and buy a rifle in five minutes. That's just not what happened. It's not true. He didn't go through the background check. He didn't, but he didn't actually buy it. And the press were running around with, well, it doesn't matter, right? just shows you how easy it would be had he tried to buy it. I'm like, well, there's a pretty big difference here. There's a pretty big difference. If somebody walks into a liquor store, let's say, and they're underage, and they walk around and they look and they see some peach schnapps and they see some SoCo and lime and, you know, all that other stuff that I used to drink when I was in college, not really peach schnapps, but the other stuff. And they walk and they look around and they and they say, you know, hey, you got a great selection of alcohol here. And then they walk out and say, I could have bought booze in two minutes in there. Or if they said, I bought booze in two minutes, you'd say, well, no, you didn't. You didn't actually purchase it. You didn't go through the process here. And that's a lie. That's just not true. You, you did not purchase. They did not check your ID, which they probably would have rejected. But the narrative is too important for facts to get in the way. That's what it really all comes down to. Jake in Hawaii. What's up, Jake? Buck, uh, wow, it's really cool to be uh, talking to you. Um, so first of all, love your show. I'm not uh, OSS, but pretty close. Well, thank you, sir. And, uh, yeah, it's a great show. All right, so uh, the reason I wanted to call in, though, is uh, so I'm, list- I'm a podcast listener. I'm listening to yesterday's, and you're you're talking about the reasons why you think there's so many of these kids are on the news right now. And, uh, and I, and I do think you're, you're right that, um, there, you know, maybe somebody's kind of pushing that agenda, but I mean, I, I've got little kids and I think little kids are the same as old kids. The, the thing that kids want more than anything is attention. And so somebody's giving them a microphone and put them in front of a camera. And, and so you, somebody, you know, one kid sees somebody get put in front of a microphone. Well, now they've got a big opinion and they want to share it too. I think it's, we're just sort of, getting them fired up because it gets them attention. I mean, look, I, I don't, I, I understand what you're saying, uh, Jake. I would just say that I don't want to automatically out of hand, you know, impugn the earnestness or the motives of any of the kids who are speaking out of, you know, look, they're not only allowed to share their opinions. I, I understand why they would want to. That said, if somebody says that the NRA is full of child murderers, I, I have a problem with that. I don't care what's happened to them, right? I don't care what their backstory is. That's not a true statement. That's not a fair statement. That's not something that should go unchallenged. And you've seen that the media is given a particular uh, amount of attention and platform, I should say, to those who take that approach, right, who take the scorched earth. There's one side here that's good, the gun controllers, and there's one side that's evil, the Second Amendment crowd, and that's not helpful. It's it's uh, a distortion. And also, you know, when you really look at all this stuff, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're not hearing from 
the full spectrum of opinions. And you've got these organizations, these anti-gun organizations that are behind this stuff. How much? We don't know yet, but we'll find out more and more. This was that they swooped in and were very much involved in choreographing some of these marches and everything else. There's just no way. And then why why do we see the Washington Post writing this story today? Yeah, you know, the the students are in the lead, but there are actually established groups that are involved here, too. We weren't hearing that yesterday. It was just the students. Yeah, the organized portion of it, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, and the thing that I don't I don't know if the other side realizes is that the more that you you uh, project bad intentions on someone who doesn't have bad intentions, the more you sort of infuriate, infuriate that group of people or that person. Because, uh, you know, we don't, we don't want kids to get shot. I mean, legal, lawful, responsible gun owners are, are the people you want protecting your kids, not the ones you want to take guns away from. Yeah, And, and, and as you know, and as has been said a thousand times, uh, lawbreakers don't care about laws against guns. They're going to figure out a way to get them. But the way that they impugn you for whatever it is that you believe in, that's a, a deep-held belief, and then they throw it in your face and, and say that that actually makes you a bad person. The more that happens, the more it creates this animosity. And it, and anyway, it, I don't know about you, but it drives me crazy. No, I, look, I appreciate you calling in, Jake, from Hawaii. Thank you. Uh, and I just say that, yeah, w- without any good faith in the discussion, it just breaks down into... Uh, it just breaks down into uh, uh, nastiness and it doesn't go anywhere. And, and if one side is really going to keep saying that the other side doesn't care about dead kids, which is a, a common refrain on the left, this is going nowhere. Um, I, I want I, maybe we'll talk about this clearance issue with this uh, feud in the White House. I don't know how much you guys care about that or not. I'm seeing a lot of news coverage of it. I could offer maybe some insight on it from the perspective of somebody who's had actually a you know, top secret clearance. So. Maybe we could talk about that for a little bit after this. Uh, we will get Selena Zito on the line in uh, just a little bit. She'll talk to us about the gerrymandering situation in Pennsylvania and how that has implications for the midterms and the rest of the country. And uh, I'm going to tell you a nice story in the third hour. Do some roll call. It's going to be fun. So stay with me. and We'll be right back. I was going to talk about clearance issues in the White House. I don't know. Who cares? It's not really that big a deal. I don't know. The media seems to care more than I do. Uh, I thought it'd be more fun to do a buck slap. Hey-yah! We should probably get like a non-karate chop noise for that one. But I've actually started to embrace the old school karate karate sound. Also, we really think about a karate chop, not a, not a particularly effective... You know, it used to be in movies, like, the guy would do the karate chop, and if you hit the person in the right place, they'd, like, pass out. False. It's not how it goes. I've seen, I've seen my fair share of fights, and uh, I have never seen somebody pull the karate chop at exactly the right time and make the other guy just, yeah. Like the Vulcan. Isn't that the Vulcan uh, grip or whatever? Yeah. Doesn't really, doesn't really work that way. But up, up for a buck slap. All right, we got to get into this now. First, just because it's fun. Uh, Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. She got she got heckled a little bit, and I just want to play it because I enjoy the heckling of Pelosi. God really didn't intend, never intended for one group of people to live in superfluous, inordinate wealth while others live in abject, deadening poverty. Most people have to struggle to make, make ends meet. So, at, no, we're not talking about that. Okay. No, no, not So, in any event... 
I don't know if you can hear back there, but somebody at the back of the meeting, Pelosi's droning on about the usual, you know, people are struggling and I want to help and everything else. Someone's like, you know, Nancy, how much do you really, how much do you really care about the working folks? You know, what are you, what are you worth, Nancy? It's just a little too preachy. Look, I know there are a lot of wealthy politicians on both sides. Everyone says they care about the working folks because most folks have to work. So that's a smart thing to do if you want to be a politician who gets votes. But Pelosi is a particularly odious private jet progressive. I mean, she is among the, if you're going to talk about uh, limousine, limousine liberals, Pelosi's limousine's got like a hot tub in it. I mean, it's really also with like the uh, the neon lights, you know, like on the undercarriage, the purple neon and the hot tub. That's her limousine liberalness. Uh, but she's also got some policy proposals. As she once said, He's a master legislator. A master legislator, I believe, was the, the the particular term of art that she used to describe herself, which was none too humble of her. I was, uh, wow, Nancy. That's how she decided to go with that. She, uh, what was the context of that? Just, I don't even know. I just, I love this soundbite, so I wanted to play it. But the, with the mowing the grass, where was this that she decided to talk about this? I'm not exactly sure where she was, but it was in the context of it was it was immigration. All right, so and, we're talking about immigration. Right. All right, so she's got she's got a new idea to help on the issue of immigration. This idea is worthy of a buck slap, and here it is. Like, let's talk about where the, a more serious structure might be necessary. Where fencing will do. We're mowing the grass so that people can't be smuggled through the grass, uh, and that's something about levees, technology, personnel. <laughs> you guys all catch that? I mean, I, I guess maybe there's, I don't know I don't know what she meant there, but it's kind of funny, you know, mow the grass so that illegals can't sneak through the grass. Uh, I, I don't know how, how she thinks that really goes, but that's going to be some really tall grass, and you're going to have to use a really big mower for the southern border if you're going to prevent people from sneaking into the country because of that one. But there, that's, that's Pelosi for you. So she's in for a, a box slap, and, and she's not the only one. Uh, there's others as well on here. Oh, I, didn't, I was going to get to Michael Moore, but I guess that was yesterday. Over at MSNBC... That's right, MSNBC. This is what uh, she's a former Republican uh, strategist or something. I don't know. She where she worked for the Bush White House. I forget what she did. Nicole Wallace over there. Here, here's here's her nugget of wisdom over at MSNBC on Obama versus Trump when it comes to the media. I guess one of the differences between um, any any stipulated um, lack of, of, of fulsomeness in the Obama era response was it, it didn't have a network um, distorting the truth for it. Donald Trump does. Fox News existed as an echo chamber for the politicians they supported. You now have the politician himself echoing the echo chamber. So it's, I don't know what you call it, stereo in, in, in 3.4D. It could not be more ironic. It couldn't be any funnier than... A conservative who's been, or I shouldn't say conservative, a former Republican who's been brought over to MSNBC to bash the current Republican administration, talking about the echo chamber effect of Fox versus, oh, nothing else like that exists, she says. Oh, hold on a second. 
I'm pretty sure MSNBC was effectively state news for all eight years of the Obama administration. In fact, their numbers, their ratings dropped considerably because they were so uh, in the tank for Obama. They were so willing to bend over backwards and do anything for the Obama administration that even people on the left were like, oh, gosh, stop. Too much. Too much with the hugging and the PDA. And, you know, there's too much. And that's what was going on over there. So there's a lack of self-awareness that is pervasive in uh, in the media about why we just don't want to hear it when it comes to how it was better or more transparent under the Obama administration or any of that stuff. All right, we've got, uh, oh, I do have some additional Winter Olympics thoughts that I wanted to share with you. My, my uh, follow-up to my little screed about the Winter Olympics from yesterday. And, uh, Selena Zito will be joining. She's going to talk about gerrymandering. It's going to be fascinating. Stay for that. Hey! All right, welcome to uh, Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. We will be joined by Selena Zito here shortly. She'll be talking to us about... She'll be talking to us about what's going on with redistricting, which doesn't sound necessarily like, oh, wow, redistricting. But actually, it could be the difference between control of the House for the Republicans and the loss of the House. It, it has implications across the whole country. So it's one of those things that's real important, even though it's not a shouting match with a dumb Hollywood celebrity. that We, don't, we can all just kind of laugh at them. Right. This is actually something that's down in the policy weeds a little bit we will have selena joining because pennsylvania is becoming a, a bellwether it is a bellwether for how this is all going to shake out in the rest of the country you also have a special election coming up there we'll get to that uh, but i just had some other thoughts i want to throw in here like for example i'm not the only one who is let's just say not deeply impressed by the whole winter olympics thing there was a piece up on i was this pj media that I found that I found particularly amusing. It tells you about how, you know, with some of these sports, it's really not that impressive when you look at the background and what's going on here. With some of them, right? I know downhill skiing is incredible and super competitive and all this stuff. But, you know, I've always looked at, for example, the guys who are on the ice luge. And I'm like, I know there's, I'm sure that there's, you know, talent and ability here. And this is where someone's going to yell at me for comparing it to being a race car driver. But being a race car driver is an incredible skill. But I don't know if it is an athletic skill. Because wait, what are you saying now? I'm saying like you could bobsled like that. Yeah, I could bobsled. Yeah, I could be a I could do a bobsled. All right. And that's not saying much. When you look at some of this stuff, I'm not trying to hate on the Winter Olympics. I'm just trying to keep it real. When you look at some of this stuff, you have, for example, for example, and this was pointed out in PJ Media's piece here, German Madrazo, who is a cross-country skier from Mexico, and German from Mexico, finished dead last, 115th out of 115. Uh, but he took up skiing... Let's just be clear. He took up skiing. He's 43 years old. He started skiing last year. And he's in the Olympic. Now, I, people, you can tell me as much as you want that it requires all this skill and everything else. But I, I can even tell you about this from my own experience. So, you know, when I, when I was in college, what they used to like to do was they would pick up all the walk-on athletes or people that were going to walk on to sports that weren't recruited. They wanted to pick them up for either 
crew or uh, or rugby. Now, crew was uh, competing at the intercollegiate level. Rugby did, but also I think rugby was was a lot of it was intramural. So it was, did you want to get up at five o'clock in the morning, or did you want to have some two hundred fifty pound dude squashing you and like stabbing you through the heart with his cleats? Uh, you know that was kind of the that was the choice that you had. But the truth is that neither of those sports at the college level required much more than basic basic athletic ability and a willingness to endure pain of different kinds. And I'm somebody who rode crew, so I can tell you that's what crew is just in it's it's endurance, but not just like physical endurance. It's you gotta get up at four thirty in the morning and you gotta get out there and it's freezing cold and you're you chew up your hands on the wooden oar and if you wear gloves you get made fun of so much. You are not allowed to wear gloves. So there's like there's some stuff that goes into it that has nothing to do with being a good athlete. It's just do you want to do this? So this is kind of how I feel about the you know winter limit. Whereas for example the uh, you know the Amherst basketball team, there were guys who were trying out who were walk ons. Never mind the recruits who were like really good, and there were way more really good basketball players than there were slots on the team. Many of whom had played at a high level in high school, et cetera, et cetera. You know, whereas in rugby, it was like, do you like to run people over? Yeah, that's right. I didn't like, yeah, rugby. I wasn't a fan of the rugby folks, really. I'm just going to be honest with you. The crew people were a little like, we row crew. You know, there was some of that going on. But rugby was all like, we ran out of keg beer, so now we're going to run over each other. It was a lot of that. Rugby was unimpressive at Amherst. I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, but with this Winter Olympic stuff, I look at it, and I see some of these sports – I'm like, you know, how how good do you really have to be? (laughs) I'm just saying. If you could pick up a sport for the first time and make it to the Olympics, there's really only a couple of options here. One, you're competing from a country where potentially not all countries qualify, right? So that's the thing, right? So you're competing in a country to begin with, though, where there's not a lot of competition and not a lot of folks trying to do it. You know, at some point, being the best bullfighter in Alaska, for example, would not be all that impressive. I think we could say that. It is, in fact, possible that if I were to study bullfighting in Spain or Mexico and then go up to Alaska, I may be the most talented bullfighter in Alaska. But that wouldn't mean that I was a good bullfighter. Also, by the way, I'm very opposed to bullfighting. I think it's gross, but that's a whole other discussion. Uh, This is kind of how I feel about some of these winter, winter Olympic sports. The competition is just not the same as it is for other things. If you're the fastest human being on land on the planet, that's incredible, right? And if you're even close to one of the fastest human, because everybody can run. I mean, pretty much, right? Everybody is able to, you know, is able to do some form of uh, track and field sport in one way or another. And so if you're the fastest, that's really, really impressive. But if you're the best person at getting into a kind of weird snow space shuttle-like thing and going real fast down a hill, aren't you kind of just the best sledder among the people that are using sleds? I know that this is sacrilege to some people, and they would yell at me and winter, you know, but I just, the moment you introduce that you need to have snow and elevation for a sport to, to go on, you're cutting out, like, a huge, pop, a huge part of the world population. There's a reason why if you're in one of the most competitive soccer leagues on the planet, I know a lot of you are like, boo, soccer, but I'm just saying, it's because kids, whether they are in the, uh, you know, in the the inner city of 
you know, Guadalajara all the way out to Spain, to Italy, to Germany, to China, to Japan. I mean, you know, they can play soccer anywhere. All across the African continent, they can play soccer anywhere. So if you're really good at it, it means you're better than a whole lot of people. I feel like with some of this Winter Olympic stuff, just saying, there's some of these sports where it's like, well, do you want to do it? Because if you want to do it, you're already like top 500 in the world. You know, this is, this is, uh, this kind of reminds me of a guy that I, I worked with some years ago who used to tell me that, uh, you know, he was a professional lacrosse player. And I was like, how can you be a professional lacrosse player? We, we work together. And he's like, well, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a part-time thing. And I was like, well, is that the only league? He goes, yeah, yeah, it's the only, it's, it's the only professional lacrosse league. So I said, it's, so you're a professional in that this is not your full-time job. I feel like that's saying something about the level of interest and competition in, in lacrosse across the, uh, across the country. Uh, I think that's telling us something. I think the market is speaking there in some way. Right? And that factors into then why is it that a professional lacrosse player maybe makes, I don't know, I have no idea, but a salary that a person makes to do another kind of job, whereas if you're a baseball, basketball, football, et cetera, player you're making crazy money at the professional level right? it has to do at some level with supply and demand yes the the audience sets supply and demand with what they want to see but also the athletes you know this is what i'm saying you know this is also how they try to gain the system with college admissions people say that i want my kid to learn the oboe because i want them to get into the school of their dreams nobody really wants to play the oboe but if you play the violin, there are other people that are going to be playing the violin. If you play the oboe, they're like, my gosh, we have an oboe player. Like, you know, you might be the best oboist in, you know, best oboist in southern Louisiana. Well, actually, Louisiana's got great music, so that wouldn't be easy. But you know what I mean? You might be the best oboist in northern South Dakota. You know, I mean, it probably wouldn't be that hard. I don't know how many oboists are running around up there. So this is, this is kind of my feeling about the Winter Olympics. Others are noticing it, too. Yes, I know. Come at me. You can tell me I'm wrong, but uh, I just think that it's it's not the same as the Olympics where it's incredible feats of strength and, and skill and speed on land, all right? I'm just saying. That's my thought. That's the last I'm going to say about the Winter Olympics, I promise. We got Selena Zito on some politics coming up now. Stay with me. You know, we're already thinking about the midterms, but we are seeing some things in the political landscape shift in advance of those midterms, particularly in Pennsylvania, which right now is at the heart of fights over gerrymandering. There's also a special election coming up there. This is giving us a sense of what to expect going forward. And a whole bunch of other congressional races has national implications But let's drill down into the Pennsylvania political scene for a moment so we can understand those lessons. To do it, we've got Selena Zito with us now. She is a national political reporter. Selena, great to have you back. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, So tell me about, first off, the the gerrymandering situation in Pennsylvania, which which has gotten gotten pretty interesting. Yeah, so uh, about two, two and a half weeks ago, the state Supreme Court uh, ruled that the, um, the redistricting, the gerrymandering done here in Pennsylvania in 2011 after the 2010 census was, was they said it was constitutional, unconstitutional because it's partisan. Well, by definition, gerrymandering is partisan. 
But anyways, so it's through a fight back and forth, the state constitution or the state Supreme Court said that the state, the state legislature, which is majority Republican, had to redraw a map and have it uh, approved by a Democratic uh Governor Tom Wolf. Well, that's not going to happen. They can't even do a budget every year, let alone agree on a map. And it's in, you know, just a, a span of days. Now, but, but so that you understand what the court system, state Supreme Court system is like here in Pennsylvania, it is elected and it is partisan. And in 2015, the Republicans did not have their eyes on the ball in the state. Despite being flush with money, the National Party did not invest in the state Supreme Court um, elections, which I I remember writing about it at the time, thinking this is really foolish because, you know, the, the redistricting will come up in 2020 or 2021. Nonetheless, they didn't invest. Democrats invested heavily. The Trial Lawyers Association and the unions spent millions and millions of dollars, double digit. And Democrats won. So this is a partisan court. The partisan court made the decision. And now they, um, because both the state legislative body, which they directed to draw the map, and the governor could not decide and or agree on the map that the Republicans gave, Go figure. Um, uh, the state Supreme Court, which is Democrat, drew their own map. And shockingly, they drew a partisan map, the exact opposite of what their ruling said, which was to draw a nonpartisan map. They put the sum on the scale. The, uh, the districts now favor the, the Democrats, and it gives the um, Democrats a, a, a larger than – 50% chance of at least splitting the uh, 18 congressional seat majority, if not perhaps winning it. Now, why does this matter anywhere else outside of Pennsylvania? Well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is a really creepy precedent, and I, I don't usually weigh down heavy on, on, on partisan things, but this is really bad to have the courts decide um, to get into politics in this way. It's just, it's just really bad. And, and second of all, Pennsylvania is a bellwether uh, for, this, uh, for this country. So as I've written this several times over, as goes Pennsylvania, so goes the, best, the rest of the country. So the impact of this, the Republicans losing possibly eight seats in this state could impact the majority in the House for the Republicans. Speaking of Selena Zito, she is a columnist for the D.C. Examiner and the New York Post, also CNN contributor. Uh, tell me, what is this uh, What is this going to tell us, you think, Selena, about what the Democrat plans are for gerrymandering elsewhere? I mean, is, is it just going to go into the courts then? Or how is this supposed to? Because what is a nonpartisan gerrymander? I don't really understand how this is supposed to work. Right. I mean, by definition, to the winners go the spoils. I mean, if you win the state legislative races in the year before a census, it is your turn. You have earned the right through winning to draw the lines. We have done this since for over 240 years. It's not like we just started doing this. 
And for 40 years, the Democrats had the power in doing this. They held the state legislative majorities in almost every state from from FDR up until uh, the late 90s. It just started to flip in, in this century. Uh, and, and as of 2009, the Republicans held the majority of state legislative um, bodies across the country, which meant they held the majorities of um, uh, the or they held the ability to redraw the line. The Democrats in frustration, un, unable to win down ballot seats, have um, have taken to the courts. If they're successful in Pennsylvania in doing this, Katie Hall um, barred the door. This is going to happen everywhere. What can you tell us about um, the upcoming special election in Pennsylvania? That gets a little kooky. So the state legis- uh, state um, special ele- or the House special election in Pennsylvania, in the district that I live in, is to replace um, uh, Congressman Tim Murphy. He left in a, a bit of a scandal uh, in in October, and the two candidates, uh, Connor Lamb and Rick Cone, Democrat and Republican. <sighs> They have been redistricted out of the seat that they'll be running for. So they will no longer be in the district uh, come November uh, after the election, or, or I'm sorry, come uh, c- come March 13th. That district will cease to ex- exist. So it sort of takes the wind out of the sail of this election because it doesn't really matter. Neither man will live in that district. They've been the Democrats place the Democrat, McConnell Lamb, into a much more favorable district for him. And they place Rick Saccone in a horribly unfavorable district for him, placing him in the city of Pittsburgh. It actually should be the opposite. Um, Lamb should actually be in the city of Pittsburgh, but there's another Democrat there. So, you know. Wait, so how does it, how can they be how can they be gerrymandered outside the district? How, what does this mean again? Just so I'm trying to follow this. <laughs> So goofy. So special election is March 18th, but by the, the, the uh, or I'm sorry, March 13th. But they that that district will no longer exist anymore. It's done. It's gone. So, so whoever wins that win. special Some election, what happens seat. to them? Uh, well, they'll hold that seat until November. Uh, but you know that means both of them have to go out. Not only do they have to do get out the vote. Um, efforts. They also have to do petitioning in a dis- in districts they don't live in anymore or, or don't live in yet. So I it's see. So they're going to be interim Congress. Whoever wins will be an interim congressman for not very long. And oh, by the way, all their efforts uh, will be in a district that they will not then be running for the next time around. Yeah, it's like I'm it's like they're switching schools career. and they can't transfer all their credits over. Right. It's decision and and can i just reinforce the fact that this really creeps me out that the courts have gotten involved in this i just i just find it fundamentally wrong yeah because it shows an obvious partisan hand from the judicial side of things which is always that should always make us uncomfortable i mean it's one thing for congress to have a winner take winner take all view of of what's going to be a partisan and somewhat arbitrary process anyway. But for judges to get involved, it's like, oh, so what kind of judge are you? Yeah, it's really, it's it's just completely unnerving. Uh, I, I really don't like the precedence this sets. 
and and I don't care who holds power. I don't care if it was um, helping the Republicans in this state. I just think it's a wrong direction for us to go, and and I never like governing by the by the courts. Selena Zito, everybody, read her latest at the Washington Examiner, or the New York Post. Check her out on CNN. Selena, thank you as always for making the time. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. Dame, we're going to roll into a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to just tell you a story because that'll be fun. You know, occasionally, even though I'm deep behind liberal lines here in New York City, uh, once in a while I find myself getting to bump into a member of Team Buck out there. I, I get to chat with one of the, one of uh, our own. Usually it starts as I pass on the street. You know, somebody will be like, hey. that's you. Everyone always just says, hey. You know, once in a while they'll yell buck, which I always really appreciate, too. But hey is fine because, uh, you know, I'm a roughly six foot tall, five, eleven and three quarters uh, white dude with a side part, brown hair, New York City. I'm not exactly, you know, uh, standing out from the crowd necessarily, especially walking in the the dense thicket of humanity that is New York City. But last night I was on my way home from the show. And it was a great show, obviously, because that's the only kind of show we have here in the Freedom Hut. And a guy was walking past me, and he pointed at me, and he goes, TV guy. And I was kind of like, you know, I was on my way home, and I figured, I was, you know, I gave, him a, I gave him the friendly wave smile, right? But, but still walking. Because you never know if in New York City, TV guy is going to turn into TV guy. I hate what you stand for, jerk, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, you, you never know. Uh, that hasn't, knock on wood, really happened in New York. I've gotten some people. There was a guy on the subway once who was like, uh, he, he had seen me on CNN, and he started off with, you know, you make, you make very, very good arguments on TV. And I said, well, thank you. And then he said, but all of your arguments are wrong. And then he started asking me, why do you think this? And why? And I'm like stuck on the subway. It was really crowded. I was like, uh, I don't know about this. I didn't really sign up for this subway ride. So anyway, I passed this guy on the street last night. And, and uh, you know, it was, it's happened to be a, a really warm night in New York City as it is today. It's gorgeous. I'm walking around in a T-shirt today here in New York, which for February is pretty great. I think it's going to start getting cold and rainy in a day. But nonetheless... You can just tell everyone's in a better mood. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. We're, ah, uh, yes, us human beings, we are simple creatures. If we have great weather out of nowhere, all of a sudden we're like, I like the world. Things are good. Things are okay after all. And I, so I stopped, and, and this guy, and he's like, he's like Fox News, right? And so I realized, all right, this guy kind of wants to chat. So I kind of turned around, and he extended his hand. He kind of walked towards me, extended his hand to shake my hand, and... And I was like, all right, you know, this is a friendly gesture. You know, I'm going to watch what his other hand's doing, you know. But it's a friendly gesture. So he shook my hand. He's actually, the guy turned out to be really nice. And he, he says, you know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. So he told me that, which is all right. You know, it's just let me know what I'm dealing with. I appreciate that. He's like, I'm a Democrat. And I just want to say that I saw you a few times on CNN. And I thought this was really interesting to hear from a Democrat perspective. He's like, those... Those guys were being really unfair to you or trying to ambush you. And, and once or twice, I really saw you like slice and dice them, even though they were clearly coming at you. And he's like, and they came at you for no reason. I was like, yeah, I, 
that's how it happens over there. That's the that's the way it goes. And he's like, well, you did a really good job. And he's like, and you know what? As a matter of fact, just so you know, I happen to be the uh, manager of a very swanky nightclub in New York City. He's like, do you have a girlfriend? I said, yes, in fact, I do. He says, well, anytime you would like to come by the very swanky nightclub, uh, you are invited here. And he gave me his card. And I was like, look at this. A hookup for the Freedom Hunt. This never happens in New York City. I, I told my, I told Miss Molly, I texted her. I was like, hey, honey, guess what happened? And then I, I wrote, I'm a cool cat. And I think she wrote back, yeah, so hip. And I'm like, see? And then she wrote back, I was being sarcastic. Um, but yeah, so it was, it, was a nice, it was a nice little exchange. So that happened. I got, I got that going for me, which is nice. You know, you never know. People in New York, they'll, uh, they'll surprise you. You know, there's there's a lot of nice folks here. This gentleman was very was very friendly, very kind. Will he actually get me into the nightclub if I ever call him? I don't know. Will I be the oldest dude in there? Actually, tell you the truth, New York City nightclubs, there's a lot of finance guys in their 40s who are trying to go on dates with girls in their mid-20s. There's a lot of that. And by 40s, I mean 50s and 60s, too. <laughs> but that's a pretty standard dynamic you'll see out at uh, the uh, swanky nightclubs here in New York City. I haven't really been out like that to a nightclub where it's like, I haven't been to one of those places. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know. It's been years, man. It's been years. Like early 30s, I started to check out of that. And I I was never into that scene, but I, I definitely am not somebody who could tell you what the coolest places to go are. I always like that SNL character, Stefan, with the, I can't do a good impression of it, but with the different nightclubs, New York's hottest club is, and then he would do all the weird stuff. Uh, I definitely am not up on what the cool places to go are. Producer Mike is, and, I, and Brandon, Brandon can tell me where all the, all the tunes are, uh, but I do not know these things. I am uh, somebody who really enjoys quiet time, which is pretty much the exact opposite of nightclub time. Nightclub very loud, and I I realized also as a as a youth out on the scene, I realized that uh, nightclubs n- nullified one of my, you know I'm not I wasn't the guy that could walk up to the lady and just expect her to talk to me because I was so dashing and well dressed and everything. No, I usually need to say something self deprecating, a little funny maybe, and you know use use a little wit, maybe a little buck wisdom on the fly. And a nightclub, there's no way to be cool. When you have to get so close to somebody that you're yelling in her ear, it's like, are you having a good night? And it does a thing where it tickles the inside of her eardrum a little, but not in a good way, you know? And then she yells back to you. It's like, why are you talking to me? I don't know you. It's amazing to me. It's really the worst possible environment to meet people. It's the worst place to try and meet people. And and there's this whole industry, you know, these clubs make millions of dollars. Not so much anymore. I feel like the internet and apps have really changed this scene. But it used to be they would sell here in New York City, and, and they do this. They replicated this model. Obviously, they had an L- in L.A., but now it, it's in every city across the country. They got the nightclub. They sell you a bottle of vodka that costs like four or five bucks to them wholesale. They sell it to you for literally five, six, seven hundred bucks. That's like baseline. And but they're selling you real estate. So then you get to sit at a little table and you get to look cool 
And the whole idea is that you're really buying social status at the nightclub so that you can bring women over to sit at your tiny. And when I mean tiny, I mean like it looks like a table for toddlers. Like it's a really small little table. And you've got your $800 bottle of absolute vodka, which you all know is not a steal. That is not a good value for you. Uh, and then you're supposed to be like, hey, yeah, sure, come to my table. <laughs> it's the whole thing. I mean, I've I've been there before. I've been through it. I've, I am a veteran of the New York City uh, nightclub scene, but, well, in small doses, only a few times. But I will go. I'll go check this place out because it's cool. And, uh, you know, Miss Molly, I want I want her to know that I'm a hip. I'm a hip cat, Daddy-O. I'm hip. So uh, that's that's my plan with, with all that. I'm, I'm not somebody, though, who usually likes to find the place that's loud. I'm actually... People are always amazed that I'll do this. I actually did this. Uh, you know, Sean Parnell and I, you guys know from the show, we were out grabbing uh, grabbing beers after the show. What was it, last week or the week before? And we were in a place. It just happened to be really loud. There were a lot of people in there. And I just asked. I was like, hey, you know, can, can you guys just maybe, like, turn them? It's super loud in here for no reason. There's no one. Like, can we turn the music down a little bit? They're like, yeah, I think we could probably do that. And Sean's like, really? I'm like, yeah. Ask him to turn the music If I can't talk to you, dude, and you're sitting right across the table from me, what are we doing here? Two dudes trying to talk about freedom in America. I don't want to be yelling across the table. So uh, I'm that guy. I will even, if I'm the only person at the bar, although this has got me into trouble, I've been like, hey, that giant flat screen that you've got, like right next to my face, do we really need that on? I will tell you that the bar owner tends to not, I tend to not get my way with that one. I've gotten, uh, gotten told once or twice, uh, hey, buddy, why don't, you, why don't you check yourself before you wreck yourself? But, you know, hey. You don't ask, you don't get, you know. You know the customer's not always right, but the customer can always ask. So I had a nice little, nice little exchange, and uh, we'll see how it goes. If I do venture out, I'll do kind of an after-action report of Buck and Miss Molly out at a nightclub. Although also, as a guy who's got a very serious lady in his life, you know, what, what do you even do at a nightclub? Most of it, I feel like, for guys is to, and, you know, the, the girls are there to dance, and the guys are there to, be around girls who are dancing for the most part. That's my that that's my understanding of the business model. But it's been a while and I'm I'm getting a little old for this stuff. I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, I didn't even get to uh, some roll call. So why don't we do some roll call coming up right after the break? All right, it's that time in the hut when we get to hear from uh, all of you, which is a great way to top things off and close things out. Closing time on the Buck Sexton show. Uh, I know that was not in key, but that's all right. It's all right, producer Mike. I'm getting better. All right. If I don't, if I don't share my music with people, they'll never know. If I don't show them my creative side, people are changing the dial right now. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, we've got some. Oh, roll call. Pardon me. There's my music. Team that's Buck. I mean. It's time yeah. for roll call. Roll call. Uh, so, first up on the roll call, we'll go to some of the emails. The roll call emails, because usually we. Go mostly to the Facebook stuff, but I want to mix it up. If you want to write us an email, officialteambuck at gmail.com. Thoughts, comments, questions, suggestions, uh, sonnets, any kind of rhyming verse, actually. We love that stuff. And uh, just just keep it clean. That's the only, that's the only real proviso because Mike gets to read them first. And producer Mike, we don't want to scar his, his psyche with mean comments that are meant for me but he'll see them first and he'll feel bad for me so be nice because on mike's behalf all right we have first here uh 
we got Alex. Alex from South Carolina. Here he writes, hey, Buck, my father and I are both original Saturday squad. That's OSS. He is a Navy veteran, and I uh, and we are both active duty. Thank, oh, uh, my wife and I, rather, are both active duty. Thank you for being one of the few hosts to talk about the abhorrent budget deal, but it unfortunately is much worse than just the deficit increase. An increase in military spending is not more money than the troops, and instead will just mostly go to contractors since there'll be a rush to incorporate that budget increase with little negotiations and more profit. Uh, we will instead get very little for this trillion-dollar increase. Thanks, and shields high from Alex. Well, Alex, thank you very much. And I, I can't say that I know that much about the specifics of DOD and military budgeting, uh, only what I would know from being a, a pundit who reads a lot of stuff. I've never been a part of that process, but I, I, I believe it, man. I mean, there's the amount of waste in the government. I, I did tell you guys that there had never been until now a full audit of the military's budget until this year. And it's going to cost like tens of millions of dollars. They'd never done it before. That's, that's pretty crazy. You think about it like, no, nah, we don't need to. We need to audit the budget of the military. Why do we want to do that? I want to know how we're spending money. Wouldn't work for a private company. Probably shouldn't work for the military either. We should probably know where the money's going. But all right, here we go. Next up is Carrie. Shields high, Buck. I enjoy your radio show very much, especially when you do your Hillary voice. That happens to sound exactly what I imagine her voice sounds like. It does. I just wanted to say that from time to time, I can remember I was told constantly that anyone could grow up to be president. And I believe that my whole life and Donald Trump just prove it, proved it. I can't begin to express how much I've thoroughly enjoyed every single second of the Trump presidency. I'm so thankful to Trump for having the willingness to take them all on and win. I feel like even the people that weren't too keen on him are impressed. Take care, Buck. And remember, Miss Molly is always right. Carrie. Well, Carrie, you're absolutely correct. Miss Molly is always right. And uh, yes, I am impressed with Trump as well. Uh, I think it has gone very, very, uh, it, is, it has gone, it's been great so far. I could say that. Next, we got some, oh, Anthony wants to share, uh, share some Netflix suggestions. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Do you guys know this one? I'm unfamiliar. Really great art deco and quite entertaining. Hmm, I've never even heard of that. Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries? I have no idea what that is. If you have Amazon Prime, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, yeah, I watched that. It was good. Um, and I'm original Saturday Squad. And if you ever, uh, if I could ever give you computer help, just ask. Well, all right, Anthony, thank you so much. I appreciate that, buddy. That is very kind of you. And with that, I think, yep, we'll go into some of the Facebook now. Now, now we get into the Facebook stuff. We have Chris up first here. Politicians. Oh, and if you want to send me something, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Chris writes, politicians and now the high school students keep calling for common sense gun laws. I've tried searching for what these might be, but I can't really find a clear answer. Could you briefly discuss during tonight's show what they mean by common sense gun laws? Well, Chris, I hope you've gotten what I mean or what they mean and how I analyze what they mean from recent shows. Obviously, we've only got a couple minutes here before I've got to close up shop for the night. So I won't get into too much more about the gun control issue right now, but it's not going away anywhere. This is this has become the focal point of the 
left's organizing efforts, of their get-out-the-vote efforts that are going to come out for the midterms, all that stuff, right? This is going to be the center of political gravity. Well, the vote stuff is early, but you know what I mean. This is They're raising money off of this, and uh, they're, they're planning to use this as much as they possibly can. Uh, so thank you, though, very much. Uh, Levi, you've probably been asked this a thousand times, but are there going to be any more podcasts of Shields High? <laughs> Uh, the work you've done on Shields High is really spot on. I like what you have to say, and your history is right on. It's outstanding, and appreciate your hard work. Levi, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going to do it. You know why? I'm going to do it because I love all of you. Because uh, right now, it's just a labor of love. There is no, it's just a, it's just something that I do, right? We're not, uh, we, we would love to get a sponsor for it, by the way. If there's somebody out there who would like to sponsor the podcast, that would allow me to turn them out faster because I could devote time that I'm supposed to be devoted to the radio show in the day-to-day of preparation to actually putting that podcast together. So if you're listening and you love history and you want to sponsor a podcast, I know a guy who get you a get you a good price. Uh, but Shields High is is it's coming. It, there'll be more. Uh, and this is also keep in mind kind of a test run for what will eventually be a, a, a history series on the Barbary Wars. I think that's where I'm heading with all this uh, because I think you all enjoy that very much. Uh, and now we have. Joshua, who writes, hey, Buck, I don't see why we have to knuckle under and stay silent when the left screams. When kids are yelling that if you aren't for gun control, then you like child murder, why do we have to just take it? Why doesn't the right respond with if you want gun control, you are allowing child murder by making schools gun-free zones and disarming the only people who may be able to help? Point is, we don't have to be the silent majority. We could be the loud majority, and I'm not sure why the right stays so silent. Shields high, Josh. Well, Josh, hopefully uh, I'm part of of the not being silent side of all this. Uh, hopefully, you know, we feel like the, the other, the counter message and the other part of the argument, the other side of the argument gets out there. Certainly one of the things that I try to do here on the show. And I, I do find, as you know from listening to this show, I find it really distasteful. I find it grotesque, but not surprising that this issue has now been it has been packaged and and formulated and weaponized as just a pure partisan play. It's really not about saving lives. It's really not about gun control. It's just about the left finding ways to bash the right uh, with impunity. All right, we're going to leave it there for today, my friends. Back tomorrow. Shields high.